everyone. We are live. It is, uh, what day is it, Bobby? April 8th? April 8th. April 8th? No, it's April 8th, yeah. It's April 8th. Welcome back to the Morning Brushback. I'm Dan Blewett. I'm here with uh, Robert Stevens. Bobby, how you doing? I'm feeling good this morning. Yeah. Um, so our guest fell through. So uh, I apologize if you came here today specifically to uh, listen to the man behind Astro's Shame Tour. Um, just had some difficulties this morning and a very actually contentious conversation, which I'm not going to get into. Um, but anyway, so that, that fell through. No big deal. So we're going to carry on today. Bobby, how, what, what's the latest on? I think we need to start off with one of your conspiracy theories. So coronavirus, <laughs> you have a million of them. You probably don't think we went to the moon or maybe the moon is made of cheese. What, what do you have? Super moon what, do you, what, what do you have? What do you have for us? Well, did you see the super moon yesterday? No, I live in a little dungeon of solitude. I did not see the moon. The moon is visible from all areas of the world. Is and it? there's no pollution. There's no pollution now. Oh, I've heard that. There's no car wrecks. There's like no crime. It's just like we're in a utopian society, except life is terrible. This is a, it's a blessing in disguise, right? You could see the stars at night. This is like a, we're like living in paradise, except we're boxed in. Yeah, that's so, accurate. Conspira- I can get I can get into a lot of conspiracies. I mean, there's you know, there's uh, I'm reading a lot about underground tunnels and uh, trafficking of, trafficking of kids currently in uh, all these all these major cities where there's earthquakes going on. If you want to get into that a little bit, that might be a little too deep for somebody up at uh, 8 a.m. Central Time listening to the baseball podcast. <coughs> yeah, it's not ideal. Um, for those, for those of you listening, you just heard me cough. I've had my cough for over a month, so don't worry too much about me. Conspiracy. Um, I I don't think it's coronavirus, but, um, I've been kicking around just okay. So let's talk about a little bit about, so there's a, this MLB biodome idea you said that's potentially they're thinking about getting baseball going in Arizona. Yeah. So the. I, you know, the idea behind it is to have all the major league teams there uh, without having a schedule put into place. Essentially right now, it's you're trying to just eliminate as much exposure to anybody that's involved in the games, the clubhouse people, the, you know, the, the front office staff, and just try and have some kind of season. Um, you know, what do you, what do you think about that? I, I've got some, I've got some ideas on, on what, you know, what that might look like, but what do you think about essentially a biodome of baseball season? Well, if Pauly Shore's there, um, let's just cancel the season. Number one, <laughs> um, number two, I don't know. I think this, <coughs> I think this whole thing is is unprecedented. Obviously, I mean that that goes without saying. But I'm not sure if there's. I mean, I think last week's guest win he brought up an interesting idea, which was that potentially, you know, maybe there's like a pay-per-view thing, like just pay-per-view for a game and it's played without fans in, a, in an empty stadium. I don't know. I mean, I, I think the precautions, it, it's going to be really tough to get people in a big open public space, right? So how do we get away from that? I'm not really sure. And you just want to prevent resurgence of this drug and or, or this, this disease. And it's just not potentially... I don't know. It, it, I think we're all just still wondering right now how much worse is this going to get? And then is baseball going to be back? And if so, in what capacity? Because, you know, I think when, when this whole thing started and they quickly shut down the Ivy League, which was a 
you know, obviously those were all the right calls. I think we were also kind of wondering like, well, most of these baseball games have like a hundred people at them, even D one. Like, is it really that necessary to like stop baseball? Like we just have the, the teams go to the field and all that, but knowing what we now know about the easy trans transmissibility of the, of the, of the coronavirus, it's just uh, like, yeah, like everyone on the ball field is going to have it. Like he's sliding a second. Yeah, he's out, but now you got coronavirus. Then he, you know, you're rounding third, <laughs> now the third baseman, you slap hands with the third base coach. He's got coronavirus. Like it's just a, just, you know, you hit a dinger, you give it to like 11 people. So I don't know. It's, it's clearly problematic. I mean, what's your gut tell you about when we're going to get back to it? I think, I think there's going to be a, some heavy pushback um, from a lot of people after the April 30th date comes and goes. I know April 30th is pretty much uh, across the country. Everyone stay in place mandate. I think there's really going to be some pushback from, especially from younger people, not necessarily 20s, but people under 50 years old that are now unemployed for two and a half months. I think they're going to be going to be willing to risk, you know, any, any contamination, any, any transmission of the disease purely to get back to some, you know, get out of poverty essentially. Cause some of these people, $1,200 is, is great. $1,200 is, you know, probably realistic for 300 million people, but it's not realistic to live on for two and a half months. I think you're going to see some real, you know, people are right now, I think, I think they're kind of in that, I don't want to say honeymoon phase because it is getting a little restless staying in the house, but yeah, for I sure. think it's, I think it's the honeymoon phase of people are enjoying probably a little bit like relaxing, uh, uh, you know, maybe spending time with family that were, they've been working 50, 60 hours a week, <laughs> but you know, poverty is a terrible, uh, is a terrible disease. And well, it's I not a disease. It's a, it's a it's disease. an economic position. It's not a, disease. a social disease. No, it's not. We can't call everything a disease. It's just patently not a disease. Dan, we have condition. a podcast purely to label things how we feel like it. I am not going to participate in that. Well, this is not <laughs> fake news media. This is this is real. Uh, whatever this is, it's definitely not news media. Um, well, speaking of fake news, did you vote in my poll yesterday? No, I hated your poll. It was what? Who do you trust least? Who do you trust least? Hold on, hold on, hold on. Bill Gates, I'll, I'll read, CNN, no, China, others. China, China, or Carol Baskin. I have no stake in Carol Baskin because I don't watch the Tiger King, as we discussed. Um, She's leading the poll right now. 80 votes. She's got 38%. Why is Bill Gates on there? Just just to, as a red herring or what? Eh, I don't trust Bill Gates. He's a smug bastard. He's not a smug bastard. He's one of the, I think, most genuine, like, what evidence do you have that he's smug? I mean, I guess that's an I, opinion, but it's not, I've never is, seen any evidence of him being smug. Well, this is the Bill Gates rabbit hole. You got to go down, research some Bill. Bill Gates, I don't like, when did Bill Gates become the, uh, the authority on vaccines and medicine? When did he be, get his uh, doctorate? Are you are you saying this from the guy who's like on board with all of Fox News peddling and the president becoming the experts on hydroxychloroquine? I don't think anybody's an expert on it. I think it's well, a, doctors I think it's are. A well, doctors, doctors are. Doctors well, are. I don't they're, know. They're I think it's a reasonable suggestion. Doc- doctors, that if it's, are. Eh, doctors, doctors are. Doctors are. Not doctors. Well, Bill Gates is um, a doctor. Well, let's, let's go over. Let's go through the list of people who are not an expert on uh, hydroxychloroquine. Number one, President Trump. Uh, Vice Pe- President Pence, 
that idiot uh, Navarro, whoever that is, um, that? Jared Kushner, the child, um, all those people. They're, none of them are, are experts. Or also, Ingram, any of those people. None of them are experts on it. Bill Gates. Um, so Bill Gates is a philanthropist. He has lots of money and a foundation. And what he does, and the reason he... I don't know if you call him an expert. I'm not sure if that's the term I'd give him, but he spends pretty much his entire life now trying to help people in other countries. Oh, uh, that's a, that's, I disagree with that. I don't think Bill Gates is helping much of anything. What evidence I'm do you have that? I'm very anti Bill Gates. Why? Because I don't believe, if you, if you look at who his, uh, but here's what I don't, here's what I don't want to hear out of your mouth. I don't want to hear but I don't believe, but I don't believe that's not evidence. Okay. That's just All right. saying, so, okay, uh, so, so follow, so the money, so follow the money, right? Uh, Bill Gates's foundation invests almost extensively in a lot of pharmaceutical companies. Um, Bill Gates has now you forgive me. I'm not prepared. <clears throat> I'm not prepared in my list of Bill, my hatred of Bill Gates. Um, but Bill Gates has, uh, he did project 201, which was basically a simulation of if a pandemic were to sweep through, you know, the world, what it might look like. He's also been on the record saying that we need to depopulize the world and a major pandemic or virus would be some, would be the best way to do that. Best is a, that is my word. Um, I mean, there's just more stuff about Bill Gates. It's, you know, for as much good as he might be perceived to do, I really think of everything that I look through about Bill Gates, which I actually do. I just don't trust him. I also don't. I saw a funny meme yesterday that said he couldn't protect windows from viruses. How is he going to protect the po world population from virus? Which I thought was pretty funny. Uh, I just don't trust Bill Gates. And well, and maybe I'm I'm in the minority, but you're, you're definitely in the minority. That's fine. But, uh, you know, Bill Gates gets a lot of, I don't know why he's getting a lot of credit for leading the charge on vaccines and, and medicine when this guy clearly is not an expert in any of that. He's an expert in computers, just as maybe we, as you would be an expert in baseball. And there's, He's been devoting his life for a number of years. I don't have any idea what the number is, but a number of years on like malaria drugs for one and all these other things. And his foundation's helping to develop some mm -hmm. of these. Yeah, but are they? Do you think? What do you think? Like deep down, he's got some sinister ulterior motive, and that he's going to come out with a flamethrower in twenty. Years? I think he. I think. I think the. I think the virus benefits him, and uh, in like the pushing of of like vaccine because he's got money invested in these in these companies that are developing this vaccine. I just don't think. I don't think it's kosher what he's doing, and. It's what's, just so what, what's his what's his end game to get like I, some more the, some more I, money? The guy's already got a, multiple billion dollars. Like yeah, but but money but money to people that have that much money it is it's more it's feel like it's more power. Like if he then was, why wouldn't he continue being in business rather than being in philanthropy, having a foundation? Because I don't know. I don't. I can't tell you why. He I mean, does I, I just don't think any of that adds up. I don't. I don't think. I, I mean, think I think there's other people you lot. could. I think really? that's up a lot. Really yeah, I mean, so? just from re from research, for, I've I've gone down the Bill Gates rabbit hole. Like, I really don't trust. It, you don't trust anything. You don't trust any pharmaceutical companies. You don't no, trust I any don't. doctors. I don't. Well, doctors is a different story. There's it's there's a difference between trusting and like I like I trust that doctors are trying to you know you go to the doctor you're try, they're trying to make you better. I totally trust that. I just don't think that what some of these people have been taught or what they're pushing is necessarily healthy or correct. So I'm going to question a lot of things. Like I, it, I think it's 
healthy to question a lot of stuff. Yeah, but what, um, I don't so, think it's, so what's your background in medical? Like, what gives you the license to say the doctors are pushing the wrong things? Not to mention that it's an opinion. Everyone these are, from these are opinions. I'm I'm not I'm not saying I'm an expert on any of this stuff. This is my. You opinion. told me you're an expert on vaccines when you're saying how you don't believe well, Dan, vaccines are safe. On, I'm an expert on a lot you're, of things. I don't you're, think you're the farthest safe. thing from an expert on 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 most things. Hey, to MD, Northern Illinois University bachelor's degree. Um, I'm I'm not an expert on vaccines, but like I read a lot, and I am have a what I would consider a healthy skepticism on the on the safety of them. That's not to say they're not safe. Like obviously plenty of people have been vaccinated and it's safe, but the fact that it's not a hundred percent and that there's a lot of, a lot of, um, anecdotes, stories of people that their kids get vaccines and then immediately their, their health goes to, you know, goes, takes a turn for the worse. You know, that's the amount of aluminum that has been known to be in vaccines is, is a is a highly concentrated amount that you that would be unsafe for someone of our size, uh, you know, close to two hundred pounds, let alone a, a child. I, I don't think if you want to vaccinate your child or you want to or believe what's your age, so, like, but like things totally. like that, like like is that is that a hundred percent true or what's the, your source aluminum? of that information on aluminum? Yeah, Me, I, I mean, you, I you, could, I'd have, have to pull. Really I'd fact have, to pull have you really fact yes, checked that? Yes, or is that some yes, just like dark that's a, web? That's a fact. No, that's a fact. The amount of aluminum in a vaccine is uns- if you were exposed to that amount of aluminum, it would be considered an unsafe amount. And why would the FDA approve that? Vaccines are vaccines are the only drug administered by uh, by doctors that you're not held accountable. So the doctor prescribes you something that's incorrect, makes you more sick. You can sue that doctor, right? For malpractice vaccines. You cannot, that's the, it's the only thing you can't, if you get, if you have complications because of getting a vaccine, it's, <clears throat> it's the only thing you cannot sue or get retribution for. So let me, which let is, me, which read, makes it let me read a line from the cdc.gov. Why is an adjuvant or what is an adjuvant and why is it added to a vaccine? So an adjuvant is an ingredient used in some vaccines that help create a stronger immune response in people receiving them. So the aluminum that they add, I suppose, is an adjuvant. So aluminum salts, such as aluminum hydroxide, have been used safely in vaccines for more than 70 years. And so many people have taken these. So many people. Um, So it's not just aluminum. It's these different compounds of aluminum. So you can't just say like aluminum... Like eating, like going, eating some tinfoil is the same as an aluminum adjuvant in these vaccines. And they've been around for a long time. So I'm sure they've been studied extensively. So are you sure that these are actually harming people? Just, you can't just conflate lost, the aluminum adjuvant with aluminum. I lost you on the, on the beginning part of that. It froze on me. So aluminum adjuvants are things added to vaccines to help them give a stronger immune response. They've been used since the 1930s. So are we sure, Bobby, Bobby, that these vaccine additives are harmful? We're not sure, but okay. But flip that. I'm just saying you can't can't say that aluminum, that aluminum. Yeah. You can say about literally everything. I have this, I have this fair life dairy creamer has like a, Non-fat milk, cream, sugar flavors. Very sure this isn't harming me. Um, uh, also, not completely unsure. You don't know. Not, 
Well, you're not. But if you take that agnostic, if you take that agnostic point of view, like you literally can't know anything in this world. But when you're saying aluminum, that's like they talk about the aluminum. Like they talk about the aluminum in in deodorant, right? Aluminum is used in antiperspirants because it reacts and it creates that plug that helps uh, reduce, actually plug sweat glands to like reduce your sweating, right? Right. That's not the same thing that's in those vaccines necessarily. I don't actually know exactly what's in each, but you can't just say blanket. Aluminum is harmful. There's something, there's some compound of aluminum in this, therefore it's harmful. Like, I don't know enough you about can't. the chemistry, neither do you. I don't. So when these so people right. are going to claim this stuff, this is how people do this. They say, there's this substance that's been known to cause cancer in this. But then it's like, there's a million different derivatives of different things. And who's to say that that aluminum adjuvant that they put in vaccines is actually harmful? You're, I mean, what, billions, you're of right. pe- billions of people have been vaccinated using those no. aluminum adjuvants? No. Billions? For sure. Polio? Since the 1930s? Polio, malaria, all I, these like vaccines. I feel like you're like you're measles. You're making my point is that you're skeptical of what I'm saying, which is good. Like you should question yeah, what I'm I am saying. skeptical of things, but I'm also I don't trust what everybody else is saying. Like I, there's here's the here's my question: is how is it unsafe to have a like a skepticism of? You know, if I blindly believe everything I'm told about, you know, from the government, I'm going to be you, uh, What you um, mostly do? Uh, no, I don't. I, 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 I believe very little for, of, of what my government tells me. You know, what my interpretation of the information is, is obviously different than yours. But I don't, I don't really believe what I'm being told. Like, like we've, been, we've been told, like, the World Health Organization, you know, listen to their recommendation, listen to their recommendation. The WHO, the WHO recommended that the U.S. not close its borders and not sh- shut off travel, you know, as, er- as late as Jan- uh, February. That was like a recommendation from the WHO. Now, do I think that they're trying to do harm? I don't know. But if you why just would they be trying them, to do harm? Like, that's I ridiculous. WHO is funded, is got a lot of money funded from China. China's communist, which is why <laughs> China was in my poll. Come on. Um. This is a most this is a, Dan. This podcast is turning into everything I want. Most to people. <laughs> here's the thing. Like most people, you need to give most people the benefit of the doubt. True. Very and you true. need to take a lot of things at face value. There is not nearly as much. I mean, there's definitely back dealing in lots of areas. Like you see it in the, in the Trump administration, like pretty cl- plainly. But there's yeah, there's, there's not as everywhere. Yeah, but is the World Health Organization secretly trying to? destroy america i don't think so are they but are they for the doubt but who who who's here, let me just ask this there. question okay i don't know ahead. i have no idea let me ask the question does it if you're on the board of world health of the who is it not a realistic question to propose to your board or whatever how do we stop growing so rapidly as a world population because we can't sustain this rapid growth maybe Maybe like that's, that's a, it's a known, it's a very, it's, it's well documented out there that uh, like depopulization and, you know, getting world population under control has been like put out there by not only Bill Gates, but discussed in circles where like we're 8 billion people on the world. Like, can we sustain that amount of activity with that many people needing so many resources without 
maybe depopulizing and getting down, you know, would the world function better at a population of 4 billion? You know, there's, I don't know. I just have a healthy, I think what I consider a, I just, a skepticism. Like if I tell you something, I assume you're going to go research because you're a smart guy. Like same thing with me. Like, well, I have a lot of things. I have a lot of things to do. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm not going down. Well, the that's the, hole that's up. yeah. So that's the thing is if, if I have an agenda, let's just assume I have an agenda about something. I tell you anything. Most people are too busy to go down the rabbit hole and research anything, which is fair. Like everyone's got lives, you know, you turn, if you turn the TV off, you pretty much are cut off from what's going on in the world. You take social media out, you turn the TV off. Like you're just going to live your day to day life. So if you're told something and you don't have the time to research it, you're going to believe it, which is fair. Like it's no knock on anybody. But if you're going to go down some of these rabbit holes, you're going to see odd, you know, branches off of the topic that tie in a little too smoothly that, you know, that leads you to places where it doesn't, you know, something isn't totally right. And money, money is the main factor. And I don't know, you know, I don't know what Bill Gates's motive may be. Maybe Bill Gates is just the greatest person in the world. Uh, just from seeing interviews and him conducting these very odd, the events 201 and stuff like that. It's just something is odd about it. Something doesn't, doesn't make it seem like it's like, it's almost like he's, he's ready and he wants some kind of depopulizing, you know, virus or pandemic, which is, you know, if I'm wrong, then I'm wrong and whatever. I, I die on my molehill of, uh, you know, on morning brushback, but, it's if I'm, you know, I think it's, it doesn't hurt any to question some of this stuff. I'm not sure the context of the Bill Gates quote about um, reducing population growth, but he said over this decade, we believe unbelievable progress can be made in both inventing new vaccines and making sure they get out to all the children who need them. We only need about six or seven more. And then you would have all the tools to reduce childhood deaths, reduce population growth and everything, the stability, the environment benefits from that. Yeah, but so what does that, that mean? That, 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 that's that a quote, good. That's a good quote. That's a that's a good quote. Reduced yeah, and, and population so, growth. I don't know. Like what? That's that's an odd statement. No. Well, that's Wouldn't what I'm it? saying. You can't take that. You can't. That quote doesn't fit anything out of context, except if you read the rest of it. If you just take out the world, if you take out those three words, you can say, Which "Ooh, ones? nefarious three words." Reduce population growth. But if you read the whole quote, number one, even completely out of context, it says, "Progress can be made." inventing new vaccines and making sure they get out to children who need them, which is obviously implying helping children avoid diseases and death. Sure. And then everything, the stability of the environment, all we reduce childhood death and everything, the stability and environment benefits from that. So clearly he's not using vaccines to yeah, increase but- childhood death. He says to reduce childhood death. So we need the rest of that uh, video clip, which I don't know where it is. I'm not going to search right now. But, but those three like you words, can't take those three uh, words. You can't take those three words out of context and just say, I'm not oh, I'm taking them in context like that. That's I'm not in context. There's sure no is. nefarious. There's no nefarious context in that in that quote. He's saying it's an odd it's childhood. Not a thing to slip in there, though. Why no, would he, say he obviously that? has some broader meeting if you probably listen to the whole clip, but neither of us have. But that's the quote. I'm a song. I can only you're reading me the quote and I'm taking I'm interpreting that quote as reducing childhood death, which. I have questions about are children dying from what they're getting vaccinated from. So they don't that's have why vaccines. We vaccin- no, they lack, they lack vaccines. Okay. But I'm saying the, 
like the vaccines that have been developed, like, like your parents were vaccinated with about eight vaccines, something like that. Like children today get upwards of 46 vaccines. So were those 38 new vaccines, are they, were they being developed to stop childhood death? And were childhood deaths at a much higher because of, the, of those disease with those diseases before the vaccine was developed? A lot of questions. Like I'm like, I just asked three questions about, about that one statement. I don't know if, and I don't know anything about it. I really don't. I have no idea what, you know, those new, those new vaccines are, uh, or like the six to seven new vaccines that he wants to develop. Like, what are those vaccines? You know, I, I questioned making a coronavirus vaccine because did we, we didn't make a, a swine flu vaccine and swine flu was, you know, 60 million people in the U.S. got it. One in five people got it. And I'm not saying that there shouldn't be a swine flu vaccine. Maybe, you know, maybe there needs to be. I haven't, I haven't heard of swine flu like reoccurring. You know, it's just, it's, a, it's odd. Like, I just, I don't know if I, I don't trust personally what Bill Gates says at surface level. I would want to dig deeper on a lot of the stuff that he does say. And maybe he's, no, so maybe it, he's totally, so, maybe it's totally, like you said, maybe he's on your side or maybe I should come to your side and just believe them at face value. But maybe. Well, well again, should. within that quote, there was no nefarious context. And reading further, it's basically saying that a lot of families where disease and childhood death is rampant, they tend to have seven, eight, nine, ten children because they know some of them will not survive. And now if yeah, we can but- reduce childhood mortality, mortality rate, now they can have smaller families and it counterintuitively, and he says that a number of times, he's also quoted saying it's counterintuitive, but when we reduce childhood mortality rate, now families can have smaller families and the population doesn't grow as fast. So Yeah, but does that make sense okay. to you? Like, let me just, let me paint the picture. Like, let's say I'm a family and I have a high infant mortality rate history. Like, I want three kids. So am I going to have six in hopes that three of them survive? Probably not. Like, I'm going to have three and if a child dies, like, God forbid, I would probably have another one. So I don't think it, I don't know how much sense that makes. Like, are people just pumping out kids in but hopes that that's not, I don't think how, but I don't think that's how that's children die in, in some of these countries. I don't think it's just like, Oh, I had one and he, he passed away or she passed away. It's when they're five, six, seven, eight. Like, I mean, and I think just, it seems like the birth just keeps continuing. I don't know. I'm not an expert on this, but again, in the context of that one quote, and then in the, with a little further context of him explaining how it's counterintuitive, like there there's nothing nefarious in Bill Gates trying to vaccinate yeah, children to reduce him. childhood death. Yeah, but see, but that's, that's what we thing, get here. So, like, but he doesn't, he did not vaccinate his own kids. Why? That's, ah, uh, Danny. <laughs> I don't know, and I don't know that that's true, and I don't. That's a, that's honestly, a true, that's a, that's, that's a true statement. Well, the important thing here is that I don't want to keep talking about this. Um, oh, jeez. But, right, but what I do want to talk about is um, how do you feel like sports are going to be impacted going forward? So the, do you think, do you think football is going to happen on schedule? I think it probably is. I think training camps probably going to be shortened or something. Um, but I think everyone is still like, okay, the worst is maybe still to come as far as infections and death. But then also 
where are we headed? Will all the major sports leagues get going at all? And will baseball, I mean, are they going to do a 90 game schedule? Are they going to do a 60 game schedule? Are they going to do, are they going to get anything in? Will they play till Christmas? I don't think they'll play till Christmas because they're going to overlap with football as our guest, Will Carroll said, and they're they're, they're not going to win that battle with football very well. No, they're not going to win the football battle. Uh, I think there is absolutely no doubt there's going to be some form of baseball this year. You know, I think I'm maybe I'm in the minority of that. Um, you know, there's going to be concessions made on both sides. Like the, the MLB PA is going to want to play because they're going to want their players to get the money. They're going to want the service time. You know, they're going to want that revenue share that because the MLB PA makes no money unless MLB makes money, obviously. Uh, but then they're also going to have to give on the kind of how Will said the ramp up time. Like maybe you're only going to get three weeks of a, a modified spring training. And that's going to be the trade-off. It's like, look, we can't have both. You can't have a full baseball season and also a full ramp-up period. Like, there's got to be some give and take. You know, other sports, I don't think football is going to be affected at all. I don't think football can afford to be affected at all. With the amount of money in television for football and the amount of money that, go, that, run, that pumps through these economies just based on football, even if you play in front of nobody, you know, there's, I, I feel like it's, it's almost going to have to, especially by September, go on as scheduled. Uh, I mean, you say that, but if one guy, but if one guy has it and he's out tackling all the other fellows, he's like, now you have Corona. Now you have, I mean, it's, it's going to be a mess when now all of your team is infected, then you don't have a season. Your season just is done. It's done. I don't disagree with you. I don't disagree with you that that it may be. I appreciate that. You don't disagree with me. Thank you. But making progress, but, but I don't, if I'm put myself in a, in a, you know, I'm a, I'm a 33 year old football player. Like I'm on my last legs or, you know, I think there's gonna be a lot of pushback from your last some of these legs guys. at 33, your last As, legs in football in football. Oh yeah. Those Off guys to are the done glue it. factory already. Those guys are done at 33. Spe- well, unless you put me at left tackle. I'm yeah. You'd be lucky to make it a 33. I just don't think you're gonna, I, I think you're gonna have a lot of resistance from the players. I think players, especially by that time are going to want to play. And if that's the case, you know, I think you you have to weigh the 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 good with the bad, and I think I think they're going to play. I really do think they're going to play. I don't think you can I don't think you can hold people out of work and out of everyday life uh, that long without some pushback. I don't want to say revolt, but some some major pushback. I'm not saying it's right or wrong. You know the the safety of it and the safety of anything like football in general is a dangerous game, um, but you know, there's, this is their livelihood. And these guys have a small window, football specifically, have a small window to make money. You know, baseball's got, uh, starting to get a smaller window. Will, or uh, Win said it, you know, when we were, when we were talking, like these guys come into the league younger and they get out younger, like to lose a full year, to lose all that revenue, the, you know, 10 figures of revenue, like that's a, you're, you're really, you're playing with a lot of livelihoods. I think, you know, as we get closer to that, I think it's going to be more and more people are going to be flipping to the side of like, we need to try and get back to normal. Like we really need to try and start, you know, ramping back up the, you know, the economy and day-to-day life. Yeah. So to your points, I mean, A, we can't control any of this. So I know, you know, you want to make hay while it's, wait, what's the saying? Get them uh, strike while har- the iron's hot. Har- harvest while there's hay, or make hay when so I don't remember. Midwest <laughs> sayings. 
Um, but I don't think we can control it. And, and yeah, I agree. What's, it's clearly untenable, the economic situation, right? I mean, I think it was an insensitive thing to be talking about two weeks ago and even still now, like, hey, old people, you should go back to work because you want to make sure your grandkids have a good economic situation here in America. So go sack, like that was, it's an asinine thing to say. Like you need to go sure. back to work so the younger generation can live. Like that's ridiculous. No one wants that. But it's very realistic that, this situation just it can't go on forever but we also just don't necessarily have control of that because if it becomes this crazy outbreak again or just doesn't flatten i mean then life's not going to go on as normal and it's it's clear now this is not just the flu right like people the respiratory problems and the need for ventilators and all that stuff it's not just the flu like i have asthma it's not going to be just like the flu for me so i mean with all that and then you start to put all these athletes close together. Like we said, I mean, if one guy on the team gets it, it's just, it's going to be a mess. You know, we know how infectious it sure. is. Sure, It's going to be so, a mess. And a lot is going to depend, like if any <clears throat> of those treatments work, um, you know, how, how effective some of those treatments may be. Uh, there's, I was reading last night, uh, there's a country, I, free, I don't I want to say it's Sweden, but I'm not, I'm not sure. I was trying to look it up while you were, while you were talking here that basically said life is going to stay normal. Um, you know, if you're at a higher risk, if you're in these, you know, they gave their categories, if you're over 65, if you got autoimmune issues, you know, you should practice staying at home, but everybody else like go to work and you know, it's going to be, you know, practice a little social distancing, you know, but they didn't shut down their economy. I think it was Sweden and they only reported, currently up to, I think it's like 611 cases out of their 10 million people, which is, it's just an interest. It's interesting. Cause I think they're the only country that's doing it that way. I'm not saying that, that the U S should do it that way. It's just a difference. You know, it's a different look on how they're handling it. And maybe it's, maybe Sweden's got a younger population, maybe, you know, for maybe something else is going on in Sweden that we don't know. Um, but I think I think a lot of the world is going to shift to that point and say, at some point, like we need to get back to work. Like the twelve hundred dollars we received from the government was great, but it's not going to it's not keeping us afloat. Like we need to try and I'm not saying to jumpstart the economy for any reason um, specifically. Just I think people need to get back into their day to day life and kind of if you are at one of those high risks, then you should stay home and you you know we should you should spend a little bit more, you know, wait a little longer before you get back out into the workforce. But if you're a, you know, a healthy 30, 30 year old, and you're not going to endanger anybody at your, at your home, that's at risk. I think a lot of people are going to want to go back to work. I think they're going to, you know, demand to go back to work. And I don't know if that's correct or not. I don't know. I don't know either. It really is. It really is difficult. I mean, now the one thing you wonder is, okay, if it, it flattens a bit and like, for example, right now, my sister sent me, she's mailing me a face mask. Um, and I asked her, <laughs> a la Bobby Stevens, I said, Hey, where'd this mask come from? How do I know it's not like a smallpox blanket? How do I know it's not been just, you know, this could be yeah. a part of a bigger conspiracy. This is, right. this is where you go, Bob. This is, this is this, what happens. They, they wanted the masks. Whoever they was, they wanted the masks. And now the masks are all coming from a central supply from country, or, you know, a planet in outer space 
where they've infected them with the second strain. That's what, coming, that's what this all is. They're coming from China. Just like smallpox blankets. Um, no, but, it, you know, well, right now I can't buy hand sanitizer. Like, can anyone? No. No. Um, I bought a bottle of bleach, which was extremely exciting. I mean, it's a highlight of my year. Uh, my sister mailed me some sanitizing, you know, cleaner for my whatever. Um, can't buy gloves. Can't buy any of that stuff. And obviously yeah. hospital workers who need it vastly more than the regular population, they're struggling to get their PPE as well. Like they're running out. Apparently, apparently the federal stockpile isn't for the states, which the states just make up the, the country. Like that was the most baffling statement by Mr. Kushner. Made no sense. Um, this is our stockpile. Like, but anyway, um, so it's... When life gets back to normal, it's not going to be normal, right? We've talked about not shaking hands and just like extra precautions. I and mean, how do we get back to regular life? And how do you coexist without passing this on? And one of the things they've been talking about is that it can spread through much smaller, um, perhaps aerosolized droplets. Yeah. Rather than just me coughing straight into your mouth, which if you're here, I would definitely do. Um, <laughs> As you're talking about Bill Gates' nefarious schemes, Ugh. I just cough straight in your mouth. But, <laughs> you know, it was, it was funny because I was talking to my dad about this a couple weeks ago as I, was, as I was jogging, and I jogged past a person who was smoking. And obviously, your breath escapes your body. And we, we all have like this, I think, idea of what happens when we breathe or when we fart, that it's just like it like goes out in front of you. But especially when you think about a fart, it's out the other end, like not close to your nose, but you smell it instantly. It's, it's like fascinating. It's like, how did that get to my nose that fast? It's like shooting around like the speed of fart light. You know what I mean? Uh, and fart, so fart light. But my point is that the travel of gases leaving our body, mostly our mouths, it like, it goes a lot farther and faster than you think. And so when you start to right. look at a smoker, you can see it obviously because there's those little tiny particulates. That's what smoke is. And so I'm running and I see, you know, a guy like just exhales. He's not breathing in any particular way, just smoking a cigarette. And I run past and I smell some of it and I go through a little bit of it. And I'm like, huh, that's what everyone's breath is like. Not just his. His is just like, it's got like a tracer in it. Like the smoke is just a tracer, right? It shows where his breath is. And so then you start to think, well, if there's coronavirus in that breath, I just inhaled it. I just ate it. Like it was my, like it was a meal, right? Sure. So, um, and they're saying that that's, kind of like it can be it can exist in smaller aerosolized droplets than we realize but at the same time they said you know this is this is probably not how you're getting it because if if he was and my dad and i talk about this as well if it was being trans transmitted that easily like just from being close enough to someone who's just talking then so many more people would probably have it by now like it'd just be right. everyone literally everyone would have it because you go to the grocery store if that was the case literally every person in that grocery store would be infected by right. just a couple of people. I mean, you just can't get around walking by somebody. So that, you know, that's wh why we should wear masks because it's just going to reduce. Probably it's going to catch some of it. It's going to reduce the, you know, the radius that we're breathing all this on each other. So that makes sense. Um, but I think that's just part of the, the, the question is, how much do we really need to protect ourselves? How far does this, what is the radius of safety? If we have gloves, if we can, if we really touch something, sanitize our hands and then go back to our business, how protected are we? Right. Um, 
I think that's a big part of it. So it's, it's, it's just really tough to know like how quickly we could get back to normal. And it's just, it's a lot of unknowns. It's, it's a really strange time for unknowns. So getting back to normal is a good point. I was, and I'll ask you this. I, cause I had a discussion with a, a guy a few weeks ago, kind of at the beginning stages of what this was um, college, you know, colleges are doing e-learning like high schools to an extent are doing whatever they can for e-learning. But, um, you know, he had a daughter at a, at a pretty prominent university, um, in the Northeast and they sent them home beginning of April or beginning of March. And they're doing all e-learning. Like she's going to finish her semester e-learning. And I, my question was, you know, it wasn't so, I wasn't like, uh, attacking like him or the school or anything. I just said, I go, so is that pretty much validating, uh, University of Phoenix's model. Um, and he's a, he's a lawyer. So he's a well, you know, highly educated person. And so is that validating the University of Phoenix's model? I go, is that basically devaluing universities around the country? The fact that they can basically e-learn and do it for like, she's living in Chicago and her school's in New York. You know, she can do it from Chicago. It, by all accounts, she could get her degree sitting in her home in Chicago. Um, you know, I know people when University of Phoenix came out kind of like scoffed at what it was and, you know, online learning, like what do you yeah, throw no the resumes in the trash? Yeah, yeah. No one's learning, but now is that, is that validating, you know, the, the online learning, like instead of University of Phoenix, if it says a, you know, Penn university on that and nobody knows if you were sat in the classroom for four years or if you couch for four years. Yeah. That's a good question, you know, and you're you're breaking up how, there a little bit. So I'm, go ahead. I think change. No, go ahead. Um, I was trying to fill the gap with uh, usable audio in the meantime while you're being a robot. Um, well, real quick, I want to I just want to throw out there: if you're listening on YouTube or if you're listening on Twitter, um, I'm checking the feed. So if you have something we can talk through, definitely put it on there. Whether it's baseball related, softball related, coronavirus. Obviously, we're off today on different topics, but. Um, feel free to comment through Periscope or through uh, YouTube. I'll be honest with everyone. This live streaming thing, like I'm pretty good with technology. Um, Bobby, I think you're pretty good with technology. I mean, you've been super fast as we sort of tag team uh, this whole process. But live streaming is confusing. I've been, my, our videos have been like kind of correct on our YouTube channel and then kind of not. It's been like shaky it's, this is like a unique animal. I don't know. I'm still working through it, but we've kind of figured out the comments now. So if you're on Periscope, if you're on Twitter, you can obviously leave a Twitter comment. If you're on Periscope, which is an app for your phone. So if you're an old person, <laughs> Joe, if you're listening, I'm talking to you. So Joe, go ahead and download Periscope app. And from there you can comment and there's like a live chat stream. Um, although I don't really see it right there right now. And then YouTube, you can comment on the live on the video. So there's a couple guys, Kyle, and Mr. Avocado, what's up? So um, we're going to be monitoring that because we want to do a good job of, of making this, like the reason this is live is in part that we can inter interact with you. So um, anyway, so uh, what were you talking about? <laughs> I, I forgot. Uh, colleges. So like, you, how do you see, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, other than e a select few majors, you know, medicine and, you know, engineer, maybe probably engineering, something where you have to get hands-on um, instruction, you know, if you're getting a, comms degree or you know a business admin degree do you need to be in the classroom you know how much is this going to validate e-learning and validate online you know higher education uh more now that everybody's doing it 
Um, I think everyone right now is just remiss to the fact that online learning is just not as effective as in-person learning. I think that's number one, because from what I've heard, the experience just has not been great, right? I think it's just, there's something to be, a lot left to be desired. Um, and I, I, you know, I, like I have online courses. So if you're out there and you don't know what I do on the web, I, I support myself a lot of different ways, but I sell online courses for baseball and softball. So I have a throwing course, I have a pitching course, I have lots of different courses that Bobby owns the baseball Academy. I'm a former baseball Academy owner. And so you learn a lot of stuff over the years. And so when I sold my Academy in August, um, my goal is like, Hey, I'm going to continue to do this and impact really like a broader range of people by taking the stuff I learned, you know, doing three, 4,000 lessons over a period of time and, and taking that knowledge and making it systemized into an online learning thing. Wonderful. So if you're in some remote part of the country, you can, <coughs> you can take my course and you can go through it and all that stuff. And this is not a plug, but I'll tell you, it's just not the same as being there with me in person. It just isn't. Now right. it's good. It's the system, but there's a lot put on you. There's a, the onus is put on you. You have to go through the videos. You have to learn to self coach. You have to be really disciplined and, and go through it. And, and you do need to interact with me. And it works the best when, when people will do my package where you actually, we do some zoom calls here and there. And even then there's just stuff lost in translation, especially with something as, as physical as teaching a sports skill and, and video is great. I mean, don't get me wrong. You can break things down all different ways, but I'll just tell you right now that having done this for a couple of years, it's just not the same. Now, sitting in a classroom is very different than teaching a, a pitching mechanics or teaching a softball player how to throw. Those are very, very different. Um, and so, sure, you're if you're not there with the athlete to really help them through it, there's going to be a loss. But as far as sitting in a classroom, where <laughs> when I was in college, I'm just you know in the back of the room like this for 40 minutes. Is that significantly different than a zoom call where you're just doing the same thing, but you're just like not wearing pants and <laughs> you have coffee and you can text and do whatever you want to do. And no one knows. Um, I don't think there's as big a difference, but you know, with college and correct me if I'm wrong, college is just a really important time to grow up. Right. And I think the social aspect, which is why the asinine um, Liberty university founder called everyone back. He's like, I don't want kids to miss their college experience. Like, great. Well, they're all going to be sick. So wonderful. Um, but that's a big part of it. You just grow up a lot between 18 and 22. I don't think, I don't think online learning is the same thing. And I think it just fits a certain amount of people. I mean, what did you learn, you, Bobby? I mean, I learned nothing in college. You learned um, nothing in college. Well, obviously, yeah. but naturally, I think you hit it on the head is it's social, right? You move out of your house, you live on your own, you learn how to fend for yourself, you do your own laundry, <clears throat> you cook your own food, you become an adult in a structured environment. Like it's, you're not fully an adult. You didn't get kicked out of your house at 18 and find a job, pay your rent, figure it out, life. Um, you're, a stru you're in a structured environment. You know, you've got, you've got your dorm room, you've got your, you know, you can make your own food, you can get a meal, meal plan. It's like a, it's like that bridge to the real world um, for a lot of people and you get to grow up and you get to make friends and interact and whatever. Aside from the social aspect, the learning aspect, you know, I don't know what you would have done uh, if you didn't play baseball in college. I, I can't say what I would have done. I, I just think that I probably would have maybe went into a trade or, you know, I would, I'm not 100% sure I would have went to a four-year four university 
similar to what I did because I played baseball. Um, and I, you know, I loved what I did. You know, I loved college. I thought it was great. I'd go back to college and I'd live that life again for four years or three years. But, you know, junior college with those first two years of college that, you know, those, those regular classes, your English 101 and your, you know, intro to whatever, like it makes more sense in my head to take it at a junior college or maybe to take it at an online course to save money. And, you know, the world's changing in a lot of different ways. And I think, you know, the way we learn and the way kids even learn in high school and grammar school has changed. You know, it's, they've got their laptop in front of them, even though they're in a classroom with somebody talking to them and teaching them. So, you know, to push that to 18 to 22 year olds or adults, do they even need to be in that classroom? And I, and I totally agree with you that, you know, I could teach somebody something better in person than I could over a zoom call or, or via phone or, you know, an online learning, you know, pamphlet, but is it going to make sense to bring people to those campuses? I mean, I think the whole, I think it's shining a light on, you know, the whole, the business as a whole for universities, the tenure system uh, for some of these professors and, you know, the, the amount of classes you have to take that don't even, that may not pertain to what your degree is going to end up being in. It's a, it's interesting. I don't know what, you know, I don't know if there's the right answer. Maybe college is going to be exactly how it was before. And, you know, there's gonna be no change, but it'd be interesting to see what, you know, if there's a shift and if some people are just like, we don't need to go back. We can, I can do all this from home and I can work and I can do, I can do college on my free time. I can do college. I could do, I could do yeah. college. For those of you that I are mean, just joining, this is coffee and Kahlua. So we're getting an early start today. So this has been fun so far. I'm right. I got another two hours of me, Dan. Do you? Cause I don't. Um, well, so to your point, I agree that, and I think a lot of people agree that co- the college cost is just, it's broken and it's getting out of control. So, you know, for me, so I'm a, I'm a unique example because my degree was in philosophy. Okay. With, with a double major in, in psychology. So you see, gee, gee, Willikers, Dan, you got a nice, uh, useful degree. Now I actually found my degree extremely useful in the fact that I didn't know at the time, but I've been a relatively entrepreneurial human. So running my own business and then transitioning into my online business and just doing all these different things, my degree helped me a lot because philosophy helps you think critically. It helps you problem solve. It helps you convey ideas clearly. And, and this is how I can just pick Bobby's, uh, his sham conspiracy theories apart very easily because mm-hmm. I can think, you know, in deductive uh, ways. But so there's a lot of benefit in some of these liberal arts educations and there's actually been reports of them coming back and resurging because employers realize this. Employers don't need to say, I need someone with a, you know, um, a computer science degree for this computer science job. Now, obviously having background, if they need a code, they do all sorts of stuff fine, but employers are finding value in these liberal arts educations more and more because these people are just very competent. They're good thinkers. They're good problem solvers. They're good communicators. They can write well. And that's not going out of style. My point of this is that it's, it, I think it's easier than ever to have a wide ranging education where you don't have to sit down and spend 30 grand to be in a program at college for you know each year where I'm self-taught in most of the stuff that I do today. I, I bought other people's online courses. 
I've been self-taught through a lot of the software that I use and all the stuff that I do on the web from, from diving into it. And I credit that to my degree and my, but just like my nature, but at the same time, I think education's changing and the, and the value of a $1,500 three credit class. I mean, well, I guess a three credit class is way more than that. Right. I mean, 20 wow. grand for us. It's yeah. I mean, $10,000 for three credits. Is that no, right? No. For a, it's probably, well, you take, say you take 15 credits. So if you're tuition, thousand dollars a credit, I would think. Yeah. Why am I so, what, what's my, what's my flaw in my math here? So 15 credits, 30 credits a year, say it's 25 grand. So it's $800 a credit. Yeah. Wait, no. Is that, is that the right math? Yeah. No. So that's close. Yeah. yeah. Sure. So $800 a credit hour. Okay. So $800 goes a long way in e-learning. It goes a really long way. Right. But $800, like, if, and this is, was advice for other people trying to start out in the fitness field. I told everyone as a, as a former strength coach, don't spend all your money on these stupid certifications. There's a couple certifications that you need to be hired, to be mm-hmm. a speaker if you want to be a speaker, whatever. There's some, a couple ones that, like the NSCA CSCS is an example. If you want to be a, a speaker somewhere, you probably need your CSCS at the minimum. Not always though. And then having a degree helps that, but having a degree in exercise science, for example, it's not always, it's not always a, a door that's going to open more opportunities and more financial growth for you. So I, when I was still running my business, I still do strength stuff. I'm, I still consider myself a strength coach. I'm still certified. I was asked, I think once in my entire career, if I was certified at all, and they certainly didn't ask me what my certification was because they don't know. And they don't really care. They care right. if you're competent. And so when I was talking to young people, I mean, sometimes you see these trainers with, you know, I'm Dan Blue at ASR7UPCBF, like A, that was seven up, I have a can of seven up over there. Like they have a million things behind their name. And it's like, no one knows what those are. They don't necessarily make you more competent. And a lot of things that do make you more competent are the real world things like going to a seminar, going to, you know, a two or three day camp or something. And, and, there's some like there's an amazing event that I'm yet to go to on the East Coast um, by Sorenex, the Sorenex company. They make awesome strength strength equipment. It's called Summer Strong, and uh, a mentor of mine, Nick Tumanello, goes there. Um, everyone raves about it. That's like a big collaborative event that'll probably cost you a thousand bucks to go and be there, or whatever. But you're going to be around people that have been doing it for forever, like people that I actually trained athletes for 20 years. And here's what the experience is like. Here's the relevant things you need to learn rather than here's what this textbook's going to tell you, right? We all know that real world application is really important. So you need a foundation of both. But the question is, do we need a hundred twenty or $140,000 foundation in book learning? And that's what I think is getting really hard to swallow because we can say, okay, well, if college is a lot of sitting there doing this for four years for 150 grand or for 120 grand, um, no thanks. I can do that at home and also spend my money in a lot of different ways, being an intern for someone and, and putting that money in your pocket and working. And there's just, it's getting less clear that the big ticket college expense is worth it. And I think I a lot of that's, they've been talking about bloat from tenured professors and just lots of administrators and just lots of systems that increase the price without really increasing the quality of the product. And yeah, that was a, I know there's a, a, a roundabout way of explaining it, but me knowing well, what I know now, yeah. like, you know, my mom, for example, maybe three years ago, I think it was when I just retired from baseball. She was saying, Hey, well, you know, maybe you should go back and 
you know, this helping me try to figure out what, like what was next in my life. And she said, Hey, well, you know, why don't you get your nutrition degree or maybe get a master's in this? I'm like, no, why, why would I do? Well, like, why would I ever do that? It's going to put me and you start thinking of your financial prospects. It's like, okay, that's going to take me negative $50,000. So what's the benefit? Is that going to put me positive a million dollars? No, not in today's age. Absolutely no, not. Not for what close. I do. Like I, I already work for myself. It's just stealing 50 grand from me. There's literally no benefit to that unless I want to completely change fields and be in like the medical field or be a lawyer or be something that you have to have, you know, a degree right. like that to do. Yeah, it's interesting because I, I mean, there's plenty of examples of the most successful people in the world or, you know, dropping out of college or, uh, you know, what is it? Steve Jobs went to one semester of college, dropped out, uh, you know, Elon Musk is Bill Gates, Bill Gates, Bill, Bill Gates, Gates, Bill Gates, well, Bill Gates. Great guy, that, by the way. That's not Bill, that he's not, not that, that he's Bill not smart. Gates. I just think he's a snake. Uh, well, Elon <laughs> Musk has no a, evidence. You've literally no evidence snake. he's a snake. You've literally hey, no evidence. I got, I had a tweet that just popped up. I won't read it on air because it's a little graphic about Bill Gates. Um, but then like Elon, Elon Musk, he's like, you know, I didn't go to Harvard, but all the people that work for me did, did, you know? So it's like, you know, you go, you're going to go to some of these schools and yeah, you're like Harvard degree matters. Like that's, that's going to carry weight. You walk in with a resume that says Harvard, like obviously you're, you're an intelligent person. You know, you're, you're highly educated from based on the school you went to, but for sure, know, for there's, sure. There's, uh, there's also benefits to, to real world that. So like, so like you said, the, you know, someone that's been in the field, someone that's, that's gotten their hands dirty and done, you know, been in the real world and survived and, you know, has real life experience as opposed to the sitting in the classroom with your hands folded like this and you're, you know, whatever it's, I just a good, it's a, it's something to think about it. I think it's realistic. Uh, it's a realistic Avenue to explore if you're not necessarily going to school, like you said for lawyer medicine or a sport, um, which will be a lot of the kids that I see, you know, high school kids that are asking me about colleges, you know, the, the one big thing I say is, can you afford it? You know, can you, is, does it make sense financially for you to go to this school? Even if you're going to play, like, you know, I'm all for playing baseball in college and playing a sport in college. I think that brings a lot of benefit to not only your resume, but to your development as a person and, uh, you know, time management skills and all that other thing, all those other things. But is it worth going to a small school that's going to cost you 60 grand a year to play a little bit of baseball. I don't know. That's not my decision yeah. to make. I'm not the one that can, I'm not the one that's going in debt. You know, that's, it's a really hard thing to give advice. And I have a kid and we'll, we'll end on this. Um, you know, a kid just texted me, he's a junior college kid. He's a sophomore. And he asked me what I would do if I were him, if I would, and the options are basically stay at the junior college and play another year, even though he's got no classes left to take transfer to a school and try and walk on, even though, the roster sizes are going to be a lot larger and there's not going to be many spots or email a bunch of schools and see if you can find a spot for, and with those same reasons, there's not a lot of spots and schools, you know, he doesn't have a big resume for junior college. And the first thing I said to him was, you know, what do you want to do? I said, I can't answer that. You know, I'm not in the same position. You know, my head's my head for me personally is not in the same position as yours. Like I always wanted to play professional baseball. So you know, my first instinct is no, I don't want to stop playing and try and walk on. But at the same token, it's like, you know, 
if, if I were you and not knowing how much you want to keep playing, you know, I would probably try and walk on. So, you know, there's, I don't know, there's not a good way to give advice in that situation for me, at least I didn't have a good answer for him. You know, I just tried to ask him questions to get him to his own answer. Uh, but that's a tough, you know, it's tough to, to give advice on what would you do if you were me? Because that's, it's almost an impossible question. You don't know all the circumstances of anybody. Yeah. When I think one, one of the, uh, important considerations and there's obviously as you were talking before there's a there's a laundry list of other jobs that are clearly college track like for example engineers you know computer engineers um software developers all like there's a lot of other jobs like speech language pathologist one that sticks out because i i had a couple friends back in illinois who who did that there's a lot of other jobs obviously that are not just strictly medical or, or, or law that if you run on that you're like you're gonna do very, very well. Like there's no poor engineers, there's no unemployed software engineers. Right. So, right. um, but to your point, I think part of it comes down to, to knowing whether you're the employee type or whether you're an entrepreneurial kind of type. I think that's an important discussion to have with yourself because for me, I don't, and like, I'm not where I want to be, but at the same time, I don't feel like I have a cap on my income or my potential or whatever it is, because everything I do, I either do for a client and I'm passionate about it, or I'm doing it for myself and growing my own business brand, whatever you want to call it. And so when there's something like this hits, if I like was saddled with like, say I got sick and got a lot of medical debt, there's a way for me to say, okay, how can I hustle and make more money than I'm making today? Whereas if you're an employee and this is the job that I have, and I'm in the corporate ladder or I'm this, I'm that, and I'm making 77,000 a year. And next year I can count on a 3% raise, but this is my career. And I go home at the end of my nine to five. And that's that you're very fixed at your income and that can be scary. And I think that's the problem for a lot of people right now where, um, and I mean, there's no shame in being an employee. Like there, like my dad was, uh, my dad was an engineer. He put, food on the table. I mean, he put all of us through college, you know, he was an entrepreneur and provided for our family. And I'm extremely thankful for his hard work. Same with my mom. Um, but it also, I mean, the, the downside to being an employee is it caps your income and your income potential to a degree, you know, unless you're sure. going to rise up and become CEO or CFO one day, you're going to be in your pay grade and you're going to have to live within that. And then when you have stuff like this happen with coronavirus or something else, now you say, okay, well, I'm going to hopefully go back to that salary level, hopefully, but I'm now have all this extra debt or say I got out of my, I got out of college and I have 110,000 student debt and now I'm going to make 55 K and that's it. And so you start looking at your bills and you're like, there's no way I'm going to be able to pay my student loans. Like I just like, here's the math. Here's how much I take in. This is the job that I have. This is the amount of debt that I have. Here's my living expenses. I'm just not going to be able to pay this off. Right. That's, I think that's the scary thing that a lot of Americans get into. And so then as I start, you know, as, as, as you talk to young kids and help them with their like future and, and I give them counsel from my experiences, the goal is like to start to try to find something that you can do on the side and don't just do it for today, but do it for like, let's see where this goes. Right. And I know this podcast between us, this is a new endeavor for you and you're learning new skills. You're doing a lot of the social media. You're doing a lot of the 
all this other stuff. Who knows where, where you are in a, in a year with this, right? right. Um, I went down this rabbit hole three years ago and I was doing this for, with our, our business, um, Warbird Academy, 10 years ago. And so this is all led up to this point. Like this is my fourth podcast and it's still leading somewhere. So for the young people out there, even if you want to be a nurse, even if you want to be an engineer, even if you want to be an accountant, you should start doing something else precisely because of these times where like, even if I lost all my clients today, I make a certain amount of money that I don't have to actually do anything for. It's not a lot of money. It's not enough to like support me yet, but I will, I have always some amount of money flowing in and that's from some of my online endeavors. It's from some, um, actually YouTube ads. It's from uh, book revenue. I have two books out. I have an audio book. There's lots of little trickles of streams of money that come in. And th- I think this is an important conversation to have. And you young people have so many more skills. You're starting way farther ahead than I was or than you are now, Bobby. Yep. And start something now. Like you look at some of these YouTubers that are famous and why I, this is why I love YouTube and I see how much potential it has. You can take anyone and this guy, Mark Quest Brownlee is a great example. He has like 10 million followers. He's a beloved tech reviewer. He's a super well-spoken, smart guy, does great videos, just reviewing all the new phones, laptops, tech, whatever. If you look at, if you hit search and go oldest to newest, you'll see his first video from when he was like 14, just sitting on his, on his like kitchen table talking about this new laptop that he got. Still very articulate, smart kid, but he wasn't afraid to just do this. And there was no clear payoff. He had no idea, I'm sure, that he was going to be a star making 50 grand every time he put out a new YouTube video because that's basically how much you make with ad revenue when you have 10 million YouTube subscribers. Not to mention all the brand deals and just like all like he's making multi-millions of dollars per year. And he just started doing that because he was passionate about it and he wasn't afraid. And there's a lot of people out there who can draw or who can do little things that they don't think much of it. They don't think much about it. And my sister, if she's listening, which um, she's probably not, but she's one of those people. I think my sister's super talented in lots of quirky, interesting ways. Um, if you just start doing something today, you never know might, where you might be in a year or two. It might spur off into something new and you're like, wow, that's really my thing. Or you just like chip away and keep doing it. Maybe you start a blog or maybe you start a YouTube channel, whatever. And now somewhere down the road, you're like, I can actually monetize this or this can actually help me through this tough time. This can pay some of my bills. Like this can pay my rent, like whatever. And the world's going like that. That's, I think this is kind of tying in back to the e-learning point, which is there's a million ways to make money not doing stuff in person. You can sit on your kitchen table and find ways to make money. There's tons of ways. You could start a website today about reviewing fish tanks. And you could go find affiliate marketing links from all these different fish tank companies. You could review them on Amazon, use Amazon links, because people look for fish tanks, right? This is just like one bizarre example, but you could have like the fish tank market cornered where you don't actually produce anything. You don't actually sell anything. You just sell information and review stuff and people go, oh yeah, thanks to this article of the five best fish tanks for a, you know, a low budget. I'm going to click on this one. You go to Amazon, you buy it. The person who has that Amazon link, that website, they get 5% commission of a $700 fish tank and you churn that over enough times and you make some money and it just like comes on in and you don't have to do anything in the future. And so, especially if you have the goal of helping other people like, Hey, here's a bunch of info. Here's how to do this stuff. Also, here's the products that you need. Like for example, like all this, uh, 
this webcam stuff, I've been doing this for a little while and there's definitely people that do it a lot better than me, but I like this crazy setup. So I have like this boom arm and I have a mic. My microphone is actually just at a frame right here above me. And that's partly because my other mic was giving me some issues this morning. I have a camera, which is my webcam. That's why I look sharp. I have this audio recorder that it's plugged into that plugs into my nicer mic when I use that. I have this weird system. And a lot of people right now, for example, are trying to figure out how do I make my webcam look better? Like I'm doing Zoom calls for my company. I want to look sharp. I want to look professional. I want my audio to sound better. How do I do that? Mm-hmm. Well, I haven't done this, but I could. And I'm sure countless other people have. Put a blog post together. Hey, here's the options. If you want to be a little bit better for a $100 budget, here's what you should buy. If you want to make yourself look even better for a $300 budget, here's what you should buy. If you want to go all out, here's what a $2,000 or $1,000 like really great webcam solution looks like. And people go, oh, this is what I wanted. Like I wanted to figure out how to do this thing better. And this is great. I'm going to go click. I want that webcam. It's, it's easy for me. I just click that. And now they're cookied. And you know, when they make a sale or they, they buy their webcam that I recommended, now I get a $4 commission or whatever. And that seems like an insignificant amount of money. But when you do that over and over time, you're helping people figure out, solve their problems. And you have just like a little flow of income. And then again, you just like never know where that goes at some point. You might eventually be like this revered tech reviewer or whatever it is, right? There's lots of stuff you could do. I think my sister could sell stickers or like handmade something or other. My sister's uh, talented and quirky and... um, good vibes and stuff like that. Like you just never like, and you just got to try stuff. So, all right, I'm off my soapbox. It's a good soapbox. I, I liked it. I mean, just the world's changing, right? So like for young kids, just, just start doing stuff on the web. And, and this doesn't have to be for young kids. It could be anybody. Like if this is your downtime, like you're not, say you're furloughed or you're, or you're laid off, which I know is really, really tough. And I've been through that, that period actually in the last just like year of really trying to figure out like what I'm going to do as I left my other business, um, it's a hard, stressful time. But one thing you can do is, is potentially just explore what you want to do, right? Like what else could you do on the side? Like what could you start that maybe you both find meaning in and maybe you're passionate about and there's an opportunity. So I don't know. It's a lot, there's a lot out there and definitely learning is changing and, and the college prospects are changing. Definitely. Well, well, Robert, we had a good impromptu episode today. It was good. Uh, next speaking, episode. Speak, speaking of which, tell me about your boom arm. I can see your mic. Suspend it all up in your face. $20 boom arm on Amazon. Yep. If you're looking for a boom arm, you know, <laughs> comments, comment below. I'll give you the link. Uh, it's my first time using it. Looks good. I feel like I'm very professional. It does look good. Yeah. I'm really um, looking for the next, you know, how to get a haircut during these trying times. Cause it's really, uh, I'm, I'm going to let my facial hair grow out until my wife makes me shave it. But I really could use a, you know, do you miss, you miss the things you take for granted, like a haircut and going outside. Are people cutting hair? That's a good question. No. Although the mayor mm. of Chicago got her haircut and it was quite the issue that she was that she had the gall to go get her hair cut while everybody else has to stay inside. So that's a that'll be a running that'll be my one of my talking points in 2023. She's getting haircuts. Look at this woman. The audacity. The audacity. 
<laughs> All right. Well, thank you for tuning in. Uh, if you were here on Twitter or YouTube, we appreciate you. Definitely check out the show on iTunes, Spotify. So if you want to catch up on our previous episodes, we usually upload them the same day. So you can find them all on Spotify, iTunes, any of your other podcast platforms. I'm not really sure what other ones there are. Um, and yeah, so on Friday, we have a guest, uh, Frank Alexander, who is the ATC um, for the Yankees team doctor. So he's seen a lot of uh, high-level baseball players. So we're going to be talking about baseball injuries and softball injuries as well. I want to talk about uh, the softball side a little bit and demystify some of the myths around softball pitching in, in general that these girls can like pitch a million pitches and just be fine. Like you can just throw all day, which is not, not the case. He says they see a lot of overuse injuries. So we're going to talk about that. Um, really good guy and then we've got guests booked all the way out through uh, April 24th so far had another one last night and uh, pretty good stable of, of minds coming on the show so we're excited so thank you again for being here um, Bobby send us out Dan it was fun we'll see everybody Friday